Praise God. You may be seated. This is early. So I am, um, so I promise you, I don't think I'll be going much past 10 tonight. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, it is a uh, privilege to be here tonight. You know, every, um, I know, I realize every service with the pastor out, everybody's trying to figure out who's going to be preaching here. So I don't know if you guessed that. We were, go- we were going to fake it and I was going to have Brother Mike or Brother Motts, you know, step up and so you wouldn't, you wouldn't totally guess that who was, uh, who was on tap tonight. I'd like to um, preach to you from a uh, thought that uh, the Lord gave me. And it's going to be a little bit different. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard this thought, but I'm going to call it the blessing of judgment. The blessing of judgment. And um, this really spur, it was spurred by um, the Deal congregation. I was down there Sunday. And they asked me specifically to, to teach and to preach on, um, on the rapture, on where we're at, on end times, on the nation of Israel. And so it was a, um, it was a very, very, uh, it was a great service. And the uh, Lord really impressed on me some things. And uh, so I'd like to share them with you tonight. I believe the Lord has, has uh, given me uh, for you. And um, in, in our whole framework of where God is taking us. And so I'd like to um, open in the Word of God, if you would, to Genesis chapter 5. And I'm going to do something that I don't think anybody's ever done. Is I'm going to speak from uh, uh, some genealogies. And you will see where I'm going with this, hopefully. So Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begot and begot Methuselah. You can stand, thank you. You wouldn't like to, you'll be sitting, so I'll be standing, so you probably need to exercise, keep the blood flowing. And begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred years, and he begot sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. And Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And Lamech, Methuselah lived after he begot Lamech 782 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Now there's, there's a method to the madness of where I'm going. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and we'll go to start with verse 15. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so I'd like to preach this thought by resurrection or by, by rapture. You can be seated. Um, and so, Brother uh, Shane, whoever's up there, if you would... Uh, go to that opening slide. I only got five slides for the PowerPoint. Yeah, there we go. 
One of the most amazing things I think I, I saw or discovered a couple of years ago um, was that in the genealogy of from Adam to Noah, the first ten generations, God um, had a, if you want to say a code or a, a word for his people, and he laid out what would be um, the summation of the gospel, I can say it that way. And this, so this was, to me, a very um, amazing and wonderful thing. So if I could, let's just look at this really quickly. So what you'll see on this side, on the uh, left side, is you'll see the name Adam all the way through to Noah. And this is the first ten generations to the very first judgment on mankind. And um, on the, the right side is the Hebrew translation. And so if you take each name and you put them together, it says that man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. So what I'm saying to you is from the very outset, when God began to give us the word of God, he told us up front what he was doing. There's no, there's no tricks here. You know, Tonight I'm ministering, and I can tell you, if you know me, everything that I'm speaking on tonight is already on Facebook. So, you know, there's no big surprises here. You want the notes, just go to Facebook. I, I try to post everything that, that I put together, and all my thoughts as they would come to me, I like to type them out and put them out, so they're all, they're all there. But God told us up front. He said, this is what life is going to be all about, that in this life there is a lot, there's going to be mortality, and sorrow, and, and this, is, this is just how it's going to be, but there's hope. There's a blessed hope. And in the end, the Bible says that there shall come, that his death, the death of Jesus Christ, spoken through, uh, gen- through Genesis, through Moses, thousands of years ago, that his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. And as we um, traverse this life, we know our mortality. We know the difficulties. I, um, I was telling, uh, I forget who I was telling, I was telling them about, uh, I've had like five or six surgeries the last two years, and when the rapture occurs, it'll sound like, for me, like a, like the tin can, like the metal man falling out of the sky, because there'll, there'll be a metal hip falling out of the sky, and there'll be, uh, there's knee surgeries, there's metal in my knee, there's metal, there's metal everywhere. So you can imagine when I go through BWI, I, I just tell them right up front, look, I know I'm going to set your scanners off, so let me just, let me just tell you up front that this is, this is what's going to happen. And, and I say that because the Word of God tells us it, you're going to be in for a very big disillusionment in life if you think that our life is not going to be a full of mortality and sorrow. And I'm just saying that. I'm not, I don't mean that there are, a lot, there are wonderful things in life. But in the overall picture of this life, he's telling us up front that, that don't expect heaven on earth. You've heard, oftentimes heard our bishops make that statement, that the revelation is, this is not heaven. For the, for the believer, this is our hell. This is the worst that we will ever have it. And for the unbeliever, this is the best that they will ever, ever have it. And if this is the best, it's not all that great, in my opinion. That, that our, our, our lot in life will be one of, of uh, despair, sorrow, 
and difficulty, but we know that uh, we have hope, that we have, we have rest and we have comfort. And um, as, you, as you consider the, the word of God and you consider um, what the Lord, the two judgments on mankind, the two judgments on mankind were water that occurred thousands of years ago, as we see here, the time of Noah's flood. And then, and then the Bible says the other judgment on mankind will be through the fire. So what I'm saying to you is the reason why we go through the water and we go through the fire is because we are judged here and now. I don't know if you've ever thought of salvation that way. I don't know if it's ever been... I don't know if it's ever been approached to you from the perspective that that you've been through the water, you've been through the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, and you've been through the fiery, the, the fiery furnace. The Bible says, think it not odd that you go through difficulties and trials and tribulations. In other words, that is our that is our lot in life. There are difficulties, there are fire, there is fire and there's tribulation. But the good thing about it is it has bought us an eternal immunity in other words the fires of hell that will burn eternally for those that don't have his name that have never been through the water or the fire will never affect our lives they will have no bearing on us because we can point to that time when we've been through the blood and we've been through the water and we've been through the fire you know for those there was a doctor that was um, doing work in in uh in africa and he had contracted a, a very mild case of Ebola. And um, later on they had him, and he was doing a lot of work a few years ago on the Ebola uh, victims in Africa and those that, those that came over here. And uh, he said he had no fear because he had an immunity. He knew that Ebola could not affect him. And, and the Bible says that for the church, for the believer, that in the judgment that we have boldness, that there is no fear because we have been through the water. We've been through the two judgments that God has foreordained that man will go through and we have been through both of them. And if you have never been through the waters, we need, you need to go through the waters. If you have never been through and received the Spirit with, with uh, fire, fire and the Holy Spirit, then we need to go through that. There's something about, about that that produces an immunity where it cannot and it will not hurt us. The fires of hell, the fires that burned up the, 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 the soldiers that guarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the fires that manifested the glory and the presence of God. And so what I'm saying to you is this. When somebody says that, that, well, that church is a judgmental church, you need to, you need to thank God. I, I know that's a different take. And I know that we're not complimented when people say those things about us. It's not a compliment necessarily. But I am saying this. We live lives that are judged here and now. Every time the word of God comes across this pulpit, you come here Thursdays and Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, and the word of God, begins to cut away at our flesh, begins to, to, to make and to mold us. And our response to the Word of God is what produces eternal life. 
It's what produces when, when we have the word of God cutting in our life. You know, oftentimes, I think most preachers have the wrong impression of the, of the uh, profession of Jesus Christ. Um, most would, would see him as a, uh, the word's carpenter in the Greek. And the word in the Greek is the word tekton. And it, and, uh, it means craftsman. But we would, most people would see him as one that works on wood, one that carves chairs and tables. And, and really, if you look very precisely at his profession and what he did, he was much more in tune with being a stone cutter, what we would call a stone cutter, than a carpenter of what a woodworker. He was a, a tradesman. He was a craftsman. The main uh, profession in Galilee there was, there was two of them, was fishing, and the other one was the building projects of uh, Herod. So the majority of, of the profession was one of cutting away a stone and perfecting that. And when you look into, into the New Testament, the majority of the, of the parables talk a whole lot more about the cutting of the stone, the stone that the builders rejected as becoming the chief cornerstone. So what I'm saying to you is in our lives... God works and cuts and, and cuts away and forms us into that cornerstone that he wants to make out of our lives. In other words, in other words, if I could say it this way, God removes the excess. One of the, um, the greatest uh, responses after World War II to the attack at Pearl Harbor was a man by the name of Colonel James Doolittle. And Doolittle took his um, raiders um, off the USS Hornet, and they went right up to the coast of Japan, and um, they took bombers, which aren't supposed to be able to fly off of, off of not even an aircraft carrier deck, but a, off of a, basically a, a cruiser. And, and the, um, the, they, they were told that they were flying uh, gas cans, and that if they weighed too much, they took everything off there uh, as much as possible because they were told you'll, you'll, you'll most likely end up in the ocean because you're going to have to launch. You're going to have to fly. And in the process by which God works in our life, we're going to have to fly. We, be, we go from being the caterpillar to being the butterfly. You can't be a, a caterpillar Christian in a butterfly church, if you want to say it that way. You know, most, and, and, and I don't know that, that you all know this, but, you know, most of the caterpillar, 80% of his weight, his or her weight, literally is shed during the process of that cocoon cycle. And so, so being a disciple of Christ, going from, from being a convert to being a disciple... Going from being in the crowd to becoming a part of the church is, way, is one more, way more of cutting away of excess than anything else. Caterpillars are basically blind and, and butterflies can see. And so, so often we find ourselves struggling in this cocoon trying to launch. There was a, a movie out years ago called, uh, I never saw the movie, I don't even know what it was about, but it was called Failure to Launch. And I, don't, I really don't know what it was even about. Just the, the title made a lot of sense as far as our Christianity. Because 
There's only two ways off of planet Earth. By resurrection or by rapture. In other, in other words, that there's no other options for me. You know, I, I, I've made it really clear to God. I said, whatever you have to do, hell, hell is not an option. Period, point blank, it is not an option. I'm going to, I'm going to fly. I'm going to have to ascend. So for me and you, the only way off of earth, off of this planet, is going through the water and going through the fire. So if you find yourself in a fire right now, don't resent that. That is the process by which God eliminates the excess which would cause us to not be able to fly. When that sound, when the trump sounds, and I don't mean Donald Trump, but when that vibration when that vibration comes forth, when we, when we feel that, that, that the Lord calling, and when we're in tune with God, when we're, when we're full of His Spirit and are in tune with Him, the Bible says we will go and we will forever be with Him. But, you know, as I, as I thought about this message tonight, I thought, well, what, is, what are you trying to say? What is the purpose of this of this message. And if I could tell you right up front, I believe God is, is calling Antioch, is calling us to a sense of urgency, to an unction. The reason, you know, and, and I'll, I'll make this announcement, Brother McGurk, the reason why we, we fast, you know, you can tell from most of us, we don't like fasting. Just look down at, uh, at your waist. We, I, don't, I don't like fasting. I'm just telling you that up front. But we will be entering in on, the, on January 26th for 21 days of fasting. And it is, we're fasting from meal, dinner to dinner or one meal to one meal with no sweets. No sweets. And, but we can have meat and then water only. So gotten that email that is in there and that's also in the handout in the announcement. But, but the purpose of fasting is to bring us into a focus to bring us into an urgency of the hour. And we're leading all of this up to, to a seminar of teaching home Bible studies. Brother, Brother Cornwell will be here. And I, I believe it is the will of God for every one of us that within one month that we're teaching a home Bible study, that we have the focus and the urgency, that time is, is running out. You know, um, when you look at the names of these ten patriarchs, the name Methuselah, it means his death shall bring it. His name literally translated out of the Hebrew means when he dies, it shall come. And the year that Methuselah died, now you can go onto, onto my Facebook account or I will email you the notes and you can, you can check out all these things because there's charts and uh, all that kind of thing on there. But the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. And I think God was trying to send a message to all of us, to, to all of humankind, that the man that would live the longest life would be Methuselah. No other man had a longer life. And God was saying, in my long suffering, that I, I will, Methuselah will be his name. And when he dies... When he dies, then judgment will come. And, and I think most of you have probably heard this before, but, but if you understand what the word rapture means, the word rapture is actually 
It's a Latin word. It comes from a Greek word. And that Greek word is harpazu. And if you look at that word, it literally means. Oh, Mike, come on up. No, I, I don't mean this. Where, where are you, Melissa? Are you in here somewhere? Where's your wife at? Okay. I'm not going to hurt him, okay? All right. Is that, is that all right? All right. So, so literally, what, what, what rapture means, when, when you think about that Greek word, harpazu, um, it literally means to snatch up, to grab. Now, I used to pull you up, but married life's been good to you, and so I can't do that anymore. I'm, I'm kidding you. But that's what it literally means. It, it, it's, it's not a word necessarily of comfort. It's a word of alarm. To be snatched up. To be grabbed up. And thank you. And, and so we know that the, the, the long-suffering of God is simply to lay out that, that time period by which we would have before, before judgment would come. And, and uh, if I could use this, this, this analogy tonight, this is an odd analogy, but I'll, I'll share it with you. When I, was, uh, when I was a Marine Corps officer, I was uh, stationed in Rota, Spain, and, um, and so one of, my, one of my good friends, he was a Catholic man, and we would go out to the officer's club. And um, in the officer's club in Rota, Spain, the naval base, there were uh, a lot of slot machines. And so his name was Mike, Mike Moniak. So he would, um, you know, we'd go in there, and he'd play the slot machine, and he played for hours. And, you know, I just, whatever, sat down and drank a Coke or whatever, and, and uh, but I didn't, I didn't do slot machines. I didn't gamble. My preacher back then, my pastor back then was, was against it. And he's still against it, but, you know, he was doing all that. And so um, Mike had to go to the bathroom, and he did not want anybody playing his machine while he left because he had invested two hours of coins into that machine, and he was sure there was going to be a payoff. So he says, well, he says, come on over and just, just take my spot from me just for five minutes, and I'll be right back. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, and I was like, you know, but I'm not gambling here. I'm not going to gamble my money away. But you know, he gave me his, his, his thing of coins, and I took his coins. And you would never believe this if I told you this. On the very first coin, as he's going to the bathroom, or he's in the bathroom, I, I put his first coin in there, and I hit whatever it was, all cherries, Bing, bing, bing. And I was, you know, part of me was terrified because my pastor had preached, you know, don't gamble. And, um, and I had gambled and I had won. I, and and it, was, it was literally a deluge of coins coming out of there. And so, you know, he, he, he paid for my dinner and my taxi. And, but I was like, I don't want any of this blood money here. This is, this is, not, this is not good. And, and I say that. I say that because I, I want to bring up this point. The fact that the Bible does say that, that judgments accumulate. And I know you might not have ever heard that thought before, but think about this. Think about Belshazzar, the, 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 um, wicked, the, kid, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, the son of Nabonius, the Babylonian ruler. And the Bible says, at the age of 25, thou art found wanting. In other words, you have stored up. There's, there's so much sin and iniquity that judgment can't be stopped. In other words, it's coming your way, king. And, and I, this, might, this might throw your doctrine off. I, I hope it doesn't. But 
in one very real sense of the word, it was unavoidable judgment. There was nothing that could be done. All that could be done was Daniel was given the interpretation and told him up front, thou, thou art found wanting. In other words, in your short life of 25 years, you have accumulated so much sin in your life that God cannot withhold judgment any longer. Then when we go to, to, to Sodom and Gomorrah, we find the same event that's occurring, and we find that, the, uh, that as, they're, as they're, they're leaving, that, the, that the, the angels take Lot and grab Rap, the rapture occurred here? Okay. And they snatch, they snatch, snatch Lot up. Very, and the word there, again, is the word to be caught up. So the restraining influence on the earth was removed. And, and, you know, this is a good thing and a bad thing. And I'll, I'll say this tonight. The, the, the rapture of the church, the Bible says, comfort yourself with those words. Because it'll be, it'll be a wonderful thing. It'll be seven years of, of a marriage supper of the Lamb um, in the clouds. The rapture of the church will be um, the, the event of events. You know, they're talking about King Harry or Prince Harry's upcoming wedding and who got invited to that. And that's going to be the, uh, the big event, the, the big social event. Well, the event of events will be the rapture of the church. And there's a wedding feast that you do not want to miss. It is one that, that I believe and I hope each person in here it partakes in that. But what you think about what occurs, something really good and something really bad. At the same time that we are caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord forever and ever and cannot be, be lost after that occurs, at that moment in time also then tribulation is loose and the judgment of God can no longer be restrained. So it's a simultaneous event. And, and what I'm saying to you tonight, that, that in God's long suffering, in God's, in God's way of, of working things, that the events that, that culminate in the rapture are rapidly coming to a close. I believe that we are, we are in the end times. I believe that I will be, and that many of us, and most of us, will take part in that rapture. See, I don't want to go into individual plan. I want the group, the group policy. I, I, I believe that. I believe this church, the majority of people that are here tonight, will be a part of, of the, the catching away of the bride of Jesus Christ. But that signals also the wrath of the Lamb that will come down. And the Bible tells, foretells, that one out of every two Living human beings will die during that deluge. And just as, as the, the first judgment of the flood of the water that came to earth and baptized, co- covered the earth, so also will be the fire that comes down from heaven. And so what I'm saying is the Bible says that, that the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And, and I've used this, this many times in, in, in speaking or preaching or teaching or whatever. And, and so we as a church are the Gentile bride. Somebody asked me, um, I think it was Brother Vernon or uh, Lipscomb, his son, said, well, well explain, to, explain to me why, why you say that, the Gentile bride. 
And, and so for just a moment here, if I could go through that and explain that, that, that in, the, in God's way of doing things, he was the first bride was intended to be the nation of Israel. And because of her, and the Bible uses the word a whoring, uh, because of her infidelities and unfaithfulness, she was divorced from the Lord and the bride of Christ. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm preaching well. The Lord's, the Lord's amen in me with those little snaps, snap, crackle, and pops. But the bride, the bride of Christ will be the, is the church. And it is, it is not, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, it is not a Jewish bride. It is a Gentile bride, meaning a bride, meaning the majority of those in here are Gentile. Sister Thompson is Jewish, and, and there are certainly Jews that, that are going to be a part of that. But overall, the time of the Gentiles comes to a completion and a closing out. If you look into the Word of God, every person, every man that was a type of the Messiah was, had a bride that was not Jewish. King David's wife, he had many wives, but his wife that was the heir, Bathsheba, was a Hittite. Moses' wife was an Ethiopian. She was not Jewish. Boaz's wife, Ruth, was a, uh, a Moabite from the incestuous offspring of Lot and his daughters. And, and uh, so when, when, you go, when you look at all those, Joseph's wife was an Egyptian woman, if you look closely, was not a Jewish woman. So I'm saying that the Bible says that the, the, the time of the Gentiles, the, the bride, the church, that will come to a close. That, 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 that period of, of time frame that the Lord uses to gather the church, that will come to an end. And so we know that, that, uh, that um, when, that, when that judgment comes, when this, those things begin to take place, that we won't know the day or the time, but the Bible says we will know the season. And if you follow world politics, one of the, the major things that is going on right now as an indicator is, is if they do do this, and I believe they're in the, they want to do it, and it's in the, the works, if they move the, the capital, the embassy of the United States to Jerusalem and recognize Jerusalem as a capital. Now, I'll say this. President Reagan said he would do that. He never did that. President, both President Bushes said they would do that. They never did that. President Obama said he would do that. He never did that. So I, I don't make a political statement there. I'm simply saying no president, Republican or Democrat, huge concession to the and and to to the nation of Israel no other nation in the world has ever had had the, the guts to do that and so when we do that the the entire islamic world has already said that they will rise up if we recognize Jerusalem as the capital as the eternal capital of Israel and most of the prophecies in the scriptures way if you look at them closely, are way more tied to Jerusalem than to Israel. And the name Jerusalem actually means, it comes from the word shalom, the, the N word. It means the abode of shalom, the abode of peace. So once that occurs, 
And we know that, that Israel recaptured Jerusalem in 1967, not that long ago, in my lifetime. Jerusalem was, was recaptured and brought back in as a part of, of, of the nation of Israel. So when I, I say that, I say that because you see world events that are beginning to spiral and beginning to show us that, that the coming of the Lord is at hand. There is an, an imminency to that, that, that uh, we know that is about to take place. At, at the prophecies in the book of Revelations, the Bible says that a 200 million man army from the east will rise up and that army will come against the nation of Israel. Well, there's only one nation in the world that can feel uh, a uh, army of 200 million men, and that would be the nation of China. And if you look at Jerusalem, if you look due east to Jerusalem, due east to Jerusalem is the, the, China, is the nation of China, and they, can, they already have a standing army of 200 million yeah. men. And China, and I think most, most of you know this, has an overabundance of males, it's very easy uh, to reduce the number of males, and that's to have a war. After World War, after the Civil War, you were a female, you were out of luck because there was a lot more females than males. After World War II, there were a lot more females than males. And in China right now, there are a lot more males than females. And the reason why is because China, the last 20, 30 years, has had a one-child policy. And so many, millions, I don't know if I'd say billions, but I would say millions of, of uh, Chinese girls were aborted and were, or were killed at birth because they wanted to make sure they had an heir and a name by which their name would be carried on. So today, presently, in communist China, there are way too many males. And I simply say all that to say this, that that, that is a fulfillment of prophecy of what is happening within the world. Within the world today, we know that uh, most of the, the rogue nations, the terror, terrorists, probably have access to nuclear weapons. Yeah. Um, the, the crazy man in, in Korea, in North Korea, probably has access to nuclear weapons. After the Soviet Union fell back in the 90s, that uh, most of the nuclear weapons were unaccounted for. So, I say this to you. To me, it's sort of shocking. There has not been a nuclear after this, after the last one have been Hiroshima and Nagasaki, when there are so many weapons that, that are not accounted for, and and I say this, I say this simply saying out of fulfillment of scriptures, the Bible specifically describes things that would happen during a nuclear holocaust. You know, after the uh, the reactors in Chernobyl blew up, um, the firemen that went in there, when they went into that that that, that furnace, that nuclear furnace. When they came out, the description was that they would be running in, in a full force run, and as they were exiting that area, that their flesh would literally, in mid-stride, would fall off, and their eyes would, would just melt, melt, melt down. And, and when you look into the book of Ezekiel, it describes in great detail those things that take place. And I, I don't say that as a, a, a scary thing, I don't say that as a doomsday prophet. I simply say that as the signs that point to the coming of the Lord. And what God would call us to, a sense of urgency, a sense that we have to do everything that we have to do to see our loved ones saved, 
you have never, if you have never listened to the message, the seven horrors of hell, you need to listen to that message. Yeah. You know, you know, in Pentecost and in the preaching world, everybody wants to preach. Everybody wants to be the good guy. Everybody wants to preach. We're going to have revival, and we are going to have revival. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about hell. Nobody wants to talk about judgment, and yet hell is in the Bible a whole lot more than hell. And if there's no other, no other reason, when, when you consider, I, you know, I have never considered myself a really great guy or a really bad guy. I'm just being frank with you. And I never thought I was all that bad to deserve hell, but I never thought I was all that good to deserve heaven either. Sort of in between. But you know what? There's no middle place. There's no, there's no DMZ. There's no demilitarized zone. There's no, there's no middle ground for us. That, that it's either heaven or hell. It's either by rational, by resurrection, we go up, or we go down into an eternal hell. You know, probably the, the thing that, and I know most of you understand this and know this about Bishop Wright, that I most respect about him, and probably drives me craziest as well, is his single-minded focus. You know, I don't want to use the word intensity because I'm not saying he's a tense person. But he is a, a man with a mission. And he lives with a sense of deep urgency. Not anxiety. He has peace in his life. He knows. But there, there is a sense that this time period is coming to a close. That this, the age of grace, that, that this time is, is about ready to be over. And if we don't do what God has called us to do, there will be those that won't make it. Though, and I, you know, I'm just, just saying this. When I read about hell, when I understand about hell, I cannot imagine any of the people that I love going through that. It's very difficult. I don't like thinking about that. I don't want to think about that. And, and, and I say that because if you look within the Word of God, every time period ends with judgment. Every single one does. If you, if you, um, the shame. Maybe go to that next slide. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Now, this is almost every Bible theologian, including all of us at Antioch, um, understand these time periods and agree with this. That there are there are seven time periods, and we currently live within the sixth time period, time of grace. And so, what will transfer us over into that next time period? When we go from grace into the thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ will be the rapture of the church. And if you look at every single time period, every single time period ended with a judgment. So I'll say this to you. This is a grand statement. But all of time ends with one last judgment. And that's called the great white throne of judgment. So if you want to understand where we're at in in this timeline, we are a part of that sixth time period called grace, called, called the church. And the, the judgment that will our time will be the tribulation, will be the wrath of the Lamb. And, then there, and the Bible says that at the conclusion of that period, there will be one last judgment called the great white throne of judgment, which we will not be partakers of as ones being judged, because we have been judged here and now, not there and then. Make sense? Yeah. You ever think about that? You ever think, thank God that you're judged here and now? Thank God 
that the judgment that I went through, I, I, Brother Ron Richards baptized me in the name of Jesus in a, in a, in a tub of water back in the old, whatever, gymnasium, or not even in the old warm sanctuary uh, when I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy. And just that, that simple act of allowing my life to be judged and to be put down in water in the name of Jesus Christ will forever give me immunity right. from that judgment. You think about that. What does is, what is a, what is a vaccine do? Now, I know some of you don't do flu vaccines, but when I went to Pakistan, I took about 40 vaccines of everything you could possibly think of. And so, you know, in a lot of realms, I wasn't all that scared because, you know, I mean, it could have killed me for terrorism. As far as diseases were concerned, I was pretty much vaccinated against everything that possibly could, could be an issue. So when you went down in that simple act of, of, of baptism, that was where you judged yourself. And let me tell you what, as a midshipman at the Naval Academy, I did not like the fact that they told me, they told me that I had to be baptized in the name of Jesus in order to go to heaven. It's like, what gives you the right to say that? Well, the word of God. And I didn't like it. it, it uh, you know, I, none of my family, none of my friends had ever experienced Baptism in the name of Jesus. And my first reaction was, how could that simple act change an eternal destination? Well, that simple act of immunity, of being vaccinated, of being covered in water, of allowing myself to be judged, my sins to be judged in the waters of baptism. The Bible says that, that the blood and the water and the spirit, those three things have to occur on earth. And it says specifically on earth meaning that it's too late. Once you die, once you go on, there's no more chance to be vaccinated against that judgment. Now, I know this is a whole different take on anything you probably have ever heard about salvation. And I'm coming to you from just a different angle of, of the sense of urgency, of, of the coming judgment that is coming to our loved ones, to those that have never experienced it, to those that have never submitted themselves to, to being judged by the word of God. There, there's, there's a blessing in allowing ourselves to be judged. There's a blessing in, in coming to church and allowing the word of God to cut into our lives, to remove the excess flesh, the, the, whole, the whole process by which God works in our life. You know, Bishop Wright made a statement at, I think it was an AEC meeting, Brother Mott, or he maybe he made it in here, and it was just sort of jarring. I don't know if he was trying to preach to us. He does, you know, a lot of that and some rebuking and, and all that. Well, the Mott's very, very aware of those things. And um, he made this statement. He said, look, just get it through your minds. In this life, it is a test. It is a test. So, I mean, my first thought, excuse me for having this thought. My first thought is that means that goes for you, too. I mean, I mean, okay, all right, I get it, I get it. You're saying that till the day I, I breathe my last breath or I get raptured, I'm going to be tested. All right, I got it. So there's no real, whatever, enjoyment period. There's no really relaxing. And, uh, you know, he said, yeah, that includes me. Till the day I die, there's a testing period. But you have to compare that to all of eternity. If you can imagine, and you can't imagine, you cannot imagine all of eternity in, the, in the, the bounds of hell. You can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. But that is a, a minute price to pay when you consider the
the, the large scope of things. I oftentimes, uh, people I'm teaching about, I tell them that in this life, we are in the womb of eternity. We are in the cocoon. We are, we, you know, this is, this is, this is our birthing process. And, and you all have heard, heard taught before, I'm sure, many times. The whole birth process of, of the, the child um, turning in the womb, the act of sort of repentance, the, the breaking of the water, and then the crying of the child when he breathes that fur, he or she breathes that first, first breath of life, parallels the blood and the water and the spirit. So I don't know if you've ever heard this take on salvation before, that it is, it is a judgment, and it is the blessing of judgment by which we are saved, by which we have a right to say we are immune from the future judgments that come because we have chosen to be judged. The Bible says some men's sins go before the judgment and some men's sins follow. In other words, in other, in other words, for the believer, for the church, that our sins go before us and they, and they will not follow us. They will not dog us. They will not come behind us. But for the unbeliever, that their sins will follow them to the judgment. And you got, you got to remember this. Every sin will be judged. Every sin. Either here, here and now or there and then. Now, you know, every single morning, every single morning when I pray, I, I bring, I, you know, the Bible says in Lamentations 3.20, or yeah, 3.20, it says, thy, thy mercies are new morning by morning. In other words, there, I don't know if there's something, you know, I know my mornings are early. And, you know, I, I know I get sent emails at, it at 5 a.m., so, and I, people complain, and so I'll, I'll, I'll wait on that. But the Bible says that morning by morning our mercies are new. In, in other words, we're, we're cleansed. In other words, a very strange way to say it, but I'll say it this way. We've sort of alleviated the pressure on the dam, if you could think of it that way. Remember how I talked about Belshazzar? And the Bible says, suggests that his sins were so grievous and so accumulated that judgment was coming his way? Well, if you really want to think of it this way, you know, and, and I probably should do it more than just every morning, but there seems to be something about that daily process by which we cast our, our cares and our sins before God so that the judgment is removed, that sin is removed. But the Bible says every sin will be judged. It is inescapable here and now and there and then. And, and for us that go through the water and the fire, we've been through We've been through that judgment. Probably, and when you consider the spirit of this age, it is a spirit of political correctness. It is a, a spirit of let's let's not let's not talk uh, uh, let's let's not be um, exclusive. Well, you know what? The Word of God is exclusive. The Word of God says the Bible clearly says through. The blood and the water and the spirit through baptism in the name of Jesus doesn't call other gods. It doesn't call other names. And yet there, there, there's such a, if I would say it this way, a blurring. Brother Middleton was telling me about somebody, I think in Germany, and I don't even know who it was, but, but there was an ecumenical meeting. Uh, I think it was Germany, right? Uh, Luther's, a Lutheran church. And there was an ecumenical meeting, and they we're talking uh, about the, the, those that followed uh, 
Islamic teaching or Buddhists or atheists that, that we were all of, of one ilk and it didn't really matter. Well, you know what? That, that is not the word of God. And in the word of God, God commands us to draw a distinction. I don't mean, I don't mean that we go out and purposely be arrogant or be rude to anybody else. But God says, don't blur the distinction between male and female. Don't blur the distinction. We, our church, we are very, very, uh, we have great conviction about not blurring the distinction between a male and a female. Well, I'm saying as far as the world's concerned, that, that, that there is, there is that, that black and that white. The, the, um, the one church that was judged and that God had nothing good to say about it was a church at Laodicea. And when you read about Laodicea, she was, she was uh, full and increased with, with riches, had need of nothing. In other words, if I could say that church lost its sense of urgency. There, there, there needs to be a sense of urgency in our life, in, 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 in our daily walk. I don't mean panic. I don't mean, I don't mean we live in, in, in fear and intensity and all tensed up all the time. But I do mean an urgency. Because the time is coming to a close. The church at Laodicea, she, God had nothing good to say about that church. And in fact, most of the, the metaphors used by Laodicea are probably incorrect. And what I mean by that, you oftentimes hear, hear preachers and ministers say, I would that thou wert hot or cold. In other words, um, either be backslid or be, or be on fire for God. Well, if you really look at the uh, city of Laodicea, there is, there is a river called Lycos, and there are hot springs of, hyper, hi, I want to say hyperbole, but not quite that way. It's a, and and they, are, they bring in boiling and, and hot water, and it brings in cold water. And unfortunately, the aqueduct that they built in Laodicea mixes these two so the water is putrid. So in other words, it's saying that the, the cold waters of Lycos weren't a negative thing. In other words, God's saying, either be red hot on fire, which we understand the revival fire is burning, or the cool refreshing of the Holy Ghost should work in your life. Either one of those. But in Laodicea, there was the mixing right in between. And so it was, it was of no, no benefit. And then when you look at the church, well, before I go into that, the word Laodicea, the word itself, the name itself, it means to execute judgment. It, it, God is telling that church that I will. Ex- there you go. Thank you, Shane. Um, it, um, if you look at number six, look down here. It, the name means I will execute judgment on this church. And it could be taken two ways. And I'll use it in both contexts. It, 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 it can be taken as, as this thought that Laodicea decided it would judge itself the Word of God, meaning the Word of God is the Word of God regardless of what I think about it. I didn't like baptism in Jesus' name when I was a midshipman, but it was the Word of God, whether I liked it or not. And so the Laodiceans were, were deciding, executing their own judgment of what the Word of God says. And the, the other interpretation of that name is that God would execute judgment on that church. And they lost their sense of urgency. And when you look at the church at Philadelphia, the seventh church, that church, it describes 
the characteristics. Now listen to this really closely. And ask yourself, does your church, us, do we parallel that, that church? It said that she did not forsake his name. What church baptizes in the name of Jesus Christ on this high, on Richie Highway? Not a lot of them, but this one does. We didn't forsake his name. That church loves his word. There's nothing that I enjoy more than being at a Bible study with Antiochers that love the word. That's probably the most fulfilling thing that I can do in all of life. It says that that church um, was a hard-working church, had little strength because it was always, always working. That church loved worship. What church loves worship? So when you look at the, at the traits of the church at Philadelphia and the name Philadelphia, as, as, as you would know, I was going to talk about the Eagles, but I won't do that, Philadelphia Eagles, the, um, the, it means city of brotherly love, of, of a fraternal love, of a, of a love for one another. So if there's one characteristic that we ought to have is we ought to be known as one that takes care of itself, that loves one another. If there's, if there's going to be faithfulness, there ought to be faithfulness in the house of God. And so when, when, you, look, and when you look through, and I won't go through it really long tonight because I'm not going to go really that late. But when you look at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Diatra and Sardis, you look at the, the actual definition of the name of that church, and it exactly matches history, what happened to the church. The first church, Ephesus, was the day of Pentecost church, the, the, the book of Acts church that had great revival that saw the handkerchiefs of Paul heal, that saw the dead being raised. And then Smyrna, the word actually means death and suffering. The church went through a period when you, the Christians were persecuted, were fed to the lions in the arenas, where Nero burnt down Rome and used Christians to blame, that he, that he put them on candlesticks. And then Pergamus, the church then went into a time of apostasy. The word Pergamus, the word Pergamus means, means married to the cosmos, married to the world. We know Constantine took the, the church and married up the doctrines of the apostolic church to the doctrines of, of Babylonia and, 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 and those doctrines. And the church went into great, uh, a downward spiral. Um, Shane, can you go to the, the fourth slide? Yeah, okay. Now, this is really a poor picture. This is just simply a camera shot of my surface chart. But this, this, this really shows a, shows a pattern, if you were to look at this, at this, of the church at the outset in the book of Acts and the end time church. And so you see the pattern. And we know that God speaks to us through patterns and principles. So when you look at the pattern, you see the church starts out strong and digresses down to a horrible state, to a, a state of apostasy. And then the next church after Pergamos was Thyatira, meaning continual sacrifice. And then finally, the fifth church was the church called Sardis, meaning escaping. And when you look at this chart, and I know it's a little bit hard to read, and I'll email it out to you if you'd like to study this out. Or you can look on Facebook. It's on there too. Um, but it, if you look, you see, you see the pattern, the 2,000 years of the church age. So... 
I am coming to this conclusion tonight, is that when you look at the time of the Gentiles and you look at the time of the church, it just so happens that we are coming up right at the very tail end of the church age, the 2,000 years. Now, how do, I, how, do we, how do I know that? Can you go to the third slide? Who's up there, Caleb? Uh, no, next slide down. Or the fifth slide, go to the fifth slide. There we go. If, if you look at the tabernacle, we are in what's called the holy place. So the tabernacle is broken down into three areas, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. The outer court would be like our body. The inner court would be like our soul. And the holy of holies would be like our spirit. And so when you look in the holy place, the dimensions are exactly 2,000 cubits, 2,000 square, 10 by 10 by 20. And then you go to the holy of holies, that area is 10 by 10 by 10. Or what do we come up with? 1,000, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So we go from the, the natural to the supernatural. In the natural, in the holy place, there's showbread naturally made. There's the altar of incense naturally made. There's the golden candlestick, which is the word of God, which is, comes up with 66 pieces of, from beaten gold. And so we know that the Bible, where's my Bible at? Yeah, there we go, there we go. Thank you. That's my old beat-up Bible. I just thought I'd bring it just to show you that I did read it a while ago. But the, the word of God being the light, the 66 um, pieces of the golden candlestick, the books of the Bible. So when you, when you look at the, at the holy place and then you look at the holy of holies, inside the holy of holies, inside the Ark of the Covenant, there were things that were miraculous and they were miraculously given and they were not naturally made. The, the manna in the wilderness, Aaron's rod that budded supernaturally, the Ten Commandments were given supernaturally, given directly from God into the hands of Moses. So we go from the natural realm into the supernatural realm. We go from the, the sixth period into the seventh period. Now, just so I can keep you tonight and for a little bit just to prove this point, when you look at 2000, if you look in, in the book of Joshua, that Joshua and the, and the ark went exactly 2,000 cubits ahead of the people. So what I'm saying to you is that you go back 2,000 years, right, one cubit being one year, Jesus Christ went up into the heaven 2,000 years ago, and we know Joshua is a type of the Messiah. And then when you look in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2, he says, and for two days, two days you will, you will be dead, and then you will, you will rise up, you will resurrect, you will be raptured on that third day. So in God's economy of things, you have to think about this, in God's way of doing things, in his mathematics, a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. So, and, and there's more than just those things that point to 2,000. But what I'm saying tonight is it just so happens that we happen to be at the tail end of 2,000 years. And, and the Bible says that before the rapture of the church, the catching away of his bride, there will be a great outpouring of his spirit. At the two ends of the church age, at the beginning and at the end, there will be a, a great uh, pouring out of the Spirit and a great influx of souls. So if you understand Antioch and what we're all about, that's what we're all about. 
You know, someone, I won't say who, I won't say who, someone made a statement to me that um, he thought that Antioch was, in the 90s, was trying to become a, maybe a mega church, I guess. And, um, you know, I don't know that that was our motives at all. I don't, we just wanted to have revival, however that would be. But one of the things that, that has been so amazing to me is as a church, God has purposely dispersed us, purposely sent us out. We have three congregations that have their separate services, that have their separate um, facilities. We own a, a facility in Baltimore. We own acre, five acres over in, uh, off of 97. And, and what I'm saying is it seems like God has told us to go out rather than to come in, rather than to gather up into one large megachurch, but to disperse yourselves very much like he told them at Babel. Go out and disperse. And the, the judgment came at the Tower of Abel, very much like at the, at the end of, of that fourth period of the, of the law, that the dispersion of the Jews, that today there are Russian Jews, Ethiopian Jews, Lithuanian Jews, because of that dispersion. And they kept their language and they kept their, 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 their customs and they kept their Bible. And, and God did all of that so that he would disperse the word of God. Today we have, we have daughter works and we have congregations. We, we meet for Antioch United once a, once a month. But by and large, we disperse in order to reach out and to go into all of the world to preach the gospel. It's funny how God says, come in and then go out. When you, when you come into the tabernacle, you come into bronze first, into the bronze altar, and then to the brazen, the bronze laver, and then you come in, to, then there's the silver, the, the, the sockets of silver, the redemption. And then when you go into the holy place and the holy of holies, it becomes gold, the golden censer, the, the, the ark of the covenant made from gold. The candlestick made from gold. You go from the hard bronze to the softer metal. And, and what God is, I think, trying to say to us is, yes, on the outside, there is judgment. But the farther that you come in to the church, the softer it gets, if you want to say it that way. The more valuable it gets. It goes from, from, from bronze, which is hard, silver, which is medium, gold, which is the most malleable of all metals. God seeming to say, come in. Get to come in right into the very center. And when you go into the word of God and, you, and, and starts out with Jehovah God and ends with the great white throat of judgment, but right in the middle, you see God making himself vulnerable. You see the, the, the softness of God. The most middle verse in the Bible is Psalms 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a contrite and a broken heart. And, and so the farther we come into the tabernacle, the more inviting it becomes. And yet, once we come in, then he says, go out into all of the world and proclaim the gospel. And that's what, that's what Antioch is all about. That's what a sense of urgency is all about. That's what, that's what, that's what we are called to do before that day of reckoning, before that judgment occurs. We are called to go out and disperse ourselves that we would not blur the distinction, that there would be a, a contrast of, of what God would, would call us to be. So what I'm, what I'm saying tonight as I, as I come to a close here, that 
slowly but surely, not, not even slowly, as, as this time winds up, as that inevitable judgment will come to earth, there will also be the inevitable catching away of the church, the rapture of the church. And God has called us, he has called us to have that sense of urgency, to, to teach, to reach out, to send the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature. We need to be, unlike the foolish virgins that had no oil left, there were five, five foolish and five wise. We need to be full of his spirit. We need to be overflowing with his spirit. T.W. Barnes wrote a book called Living in the Ocative Side, that it is judgment that's accumulated against those that are unbelievers. So also, I'm saying as a church, that there is such a thing as living in that overflow. There was a man named Cornelius, and the Bible says, you have obligated me to act on your behalf because of your giving and because of your worship. And God acted on the behalf of Cornelius and was obligated almost to the point where, whether he, and as weird as that might sound, whether he wanted to or not, blessing and the supernatural was coming his way. So also, for those the unbeliever, judgment is coming their way, whether, whether or not he wanted to or not. And I know that's, that might sound strange. The Bible says, and I'll close with this thought, the Bible says that Cain, when Cain killed Abel, that Abel's blood cried up from the ground. And, and, and what I'm saying is, is that something was crying out for judgment and for justice, that that, that, that had a voice to it. And in all of our lives, whether or not the, the sinner knows this or, or understands this, there is that voice that cries out for judgment. Now, we know that we've been through the water and we've been through the fire. So we know we have been judged by God here and now and not there and then. But that voice, that voice, uh, that, voice that cries out for, you want to say vengeance, because the Bible calls the tribulation, it calls, a day, it call, calls it the day of vengeance. That, that, that voice is an insatiable voice, an inevitable voice that cries out for those that are not saved. And, you know, I, I did not mean this to be a difficult or a hard message. I, I meant it to be a message of hope and a message that tells us um, that our hope, that, that the greatest of event in our life is yet to come. You know, as, as a preacher, and I really am coming to a close, I do three things. I'm there when they're hatched, dedications. I'm there when they're matched on a lot of weddings. And I'm there when they're dispatched. I'm there when they, they die. And um, probably the most joyous occasion would be at their, at their marriage ceremony. I took part in Brother McGurk's and Sister McGurk's marriage ceremony. And, you know, in Jewish culture and Jewish custom, the most significant day is not the day you were born nor the day you die. It is the day of taking on your bride. That is the day that is the most significant. If you had a gravestone, I guess, they would write that, that day on there. So I'm saying the most significant day is yet to come when we, when we become one with the Lord, when that, when that takes place, when we are raptured to be with the bridegroom. So as, as I come to a close, I'm going to 
I'll read for, for this verse, and then I will pray and we'll close. Um, the Bible says that uh, in Isaiah 43, verse 5, it says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. Now, this is it's a long study, and I won't go into all of it, but if you want it, I can be glad to email it to you. But when you go into this verse and you read about all of the verses that, that surround the east and the west, it is, this verse is talking about, I will bring thy seed from the east, meaning that, that out of the east, out of Jerusalem, out of, out of Israel came, came the seed of Mary, the Messiah, and it would gather thee from the west. In other words, it is, it is saying that the end time in gathering of the church, the revival, the last day revival would come from, would be gathering from the west. And there are a lot more verses that support that. So what I'm saying to you is when you look at what is, what is the western, what is the west, it would be the United States, England, this, this, this part of the, uh, of the globe would be the west. So when we talk about revival, when, when the man of God, when Brother Near or whoever gets up here and talks about revival, it's not just saying we're going to have revival because it's a good thing to preach. There, there is a lot of Scripture that parallels exactly what is going to happen. And what I love about the Word of God is, is that uh, the patterns all fit together, that we're not just some random church. You know, we, you've heard Bishop Wright say 100,000. And to many people, that would be ludicrous and lunacy. And, and yet, we're saying that, there, that, that all that we do here, all of this building, all of this gathering of land, all of this AML training, is all for a purpose, to set us up for that end-time revival. Because we're banking on that. Because not just because a man of God says it. Because a man of God says it. There are prophecies there are promises that have come to this church, but because the Word of God says that. So in this last hour, whatever, 45 minutes of, of, of sharing with you, what I wanted to convey most of all was that we are privileged to be a part of the end-time church of the greatest revival that has ever taken place, that we are at the culmination of the church age, that we have the, the privilege of being judged here and now, so that we're not judged there and then. We have the, the privilege of partaking in a massive influx of souls. And, and, and I, have, I have other typologies, which I won't go into, which would take a, a lot of time. But I think you can, you can see, when you look into the Word of God, that he foretells the pattern of what he is going to do. It is, it's all laid out there, and it's laid out there in precise detail by the names of the churches when you look in, into into all of the the things that, that that just come together and point to what god is about ready to do so could we all stand and um rather than pray a very general prayer i would like us to do this we are entering in to a season of fasting and prayer and um the culmination being Brother Cornwell being here. And uh, if you're, and I'm just putting you on the spot, but if you're willing to do this, you're willing to uh, maybe we'll join together and pray that the Lord would lead you to somebody to teach a Bible study to. 
between now and we had a month of fasting. We're starting next Friday, 21 days, and then Brother Cornwell will be here. But I, you know in advance what he will be teaching on is, is everybody teaching a home Bible study. And, you know, when we think about fasting and, and the purpose of the fasting and the prayer, and we'll be praying Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday, every night at 7 o'clock. And all of that, and I'm going to ask you if you're willing to do this, to bind together with me and to pray that God would lead you, every single one of you, to teach one, at least one home Bible study. I'm sure some of you are teaching them right now. And then uh, uh, that God would, would do that specific thing. Um, Brother, uh, Brother Mott, why don't you come here and uh, why don't you close this out? I'd like you to pray for this congregation. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your mercy. Uh, thank you for your word tonight. <clears throat> In the name of Jesus, Father, I ask that you'd speak to us clearly about your will about us being involved in your will. Prepare us, Lord, to be awakened, Lord, to a new season, to a new thing that you've, that you've spoken to us about. In the name of Jesus, God, help us to prepare ourselves for your timing, for your will, for what you have in store for us as individuals, in our families, Lord, in this church, in our community, in this state. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, prepare us, Father. <clears throat> in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, speak to us, Lord. Father, I pray blessing upon our ears, God. Your word declares that your sheep, they know your voice. They know not the voice of a stranger. God, I pray that you would bless our ears, that we would be attentive and receptive to your voice and your leading, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, speak to us plainly, God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Brother You, for that uh, wonderful word. Amen. God bless you. Be safe, be warm, and enjoy 50-degree temperatures this weekend. In Jesus' name. <clears throat>